Hello, welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Harris, and joining me rather casually today is Andrew Decker. Good What's up, man? I'm not much. I'm 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 casual. I'm you wearing know, t-shirt. Usually, and jeans. you're the one in a suit and tie, and I am in t-shirt and jeans. But it's flipped today. This is throwing me off. I'm sorry. I know. Well, I am too. I'm sorry. I'm wearing a, a suit and tie. Uh, how you been? I've been all right. I've been all right. Good. It's a beautiful spring day. It We're is. in one of my favorite shirts given to me by a, a pastor friend of mine. So. It is April already. Can you believe it? And I'm the fool. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. But you know who's not a fool? Who's that? Our guest today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell us about her. Okay. Harmony Sherman is an attorney in North Texas She had to Texas tell you how to pronounce area. her name just minutes well, ago. We, Don't we act were, smart. We were talking about how I usually screw up names. It's not the traditional spelling of Sherman. So anyways, Harmony uh, is a very busy attorney in the counties that we practice in all over the state, primarily North Texas, and um, is a great trial attorney. Uh, we've been wanting to have her on the podcast for a while, and she's going to talk to us today about preparing for big, big cases, big trials. Harmony, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good on. Don't be afraid of it. Yep. Um, it doesn't bite. We are all three of us in Andrew's office. Harmony is joining us in person. And uh, she said she was nervous, but it's only because of our interviewing prowess. Uh, she, she, <laughs> she said no we're mean and intimidating. <laughs> so, uh, Harmony, what... Um, Tell us about yourself. Tell us, you know, why you got into the law, um, okay. that kind of stuff. Um, I'm so glad you gave me all of these questions where I wouldn't know what to say. So. <laughs> we try not to surprise people. This yeah. is not this is not trial by surprise. This right. Is, and, and, and don't be afraid of the microphone. It's your friend. So I'm 47 years old. I have two kids um, who aren't really kids anymore. 23-year-old Emily is, and she graduated from University of Texas and works for a juvenile justice organization called Lone Star Justice Alliance in Austin. My son Johnny is also in Austin. Um, he's 20 and he lives and works there. So that's that's kind of my life. I have also have three dogs, which keep me very busy. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, Andrew has one dog, and you would think that it is it is his child. Indeed. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to talk ill of Winston. No. Okay. Minus that right. he's, not he's not here. We he's not here today. He's not here. So I grew up on the east side of Fort Worth. Um, basically was raised around a lot of poverty and addiction and mental illness. Um, most of the people I was around had um, in-depth knowledge of the criminal justice system. So I also had a grandfather who was really instrumental in my life. He was county judge in the 70s in Tarrant County. And I kind of learned to debate politics and um, things like that. He's a true Democrat, so go Democrats. <laughs> um, but I really got interested in the law when I was in high school, my mom was um, arrested and charged with embezzlement. Um, she was sentenced by Judge McBride in, in Fort Worth, in federal court, and went to prison. 
and she was represented by um, Peter Flory and Tim uh, Curry from the Federal Public Defender's Office. It was a new office at that time, and even then, I knew that I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. There was never any question about what kind of attorney I would be, or if I would be an attorney, I just knew that eventually I would be. So I went to law school after having babies, and I've been practicing for almost 14 years. That's wonderful. That's a heck of a story. Yeah, that is a heck of a story. I didn't mean to say wonderful in the sense that like, you know, the experiences that you had, but it just does. It seems like it was kind of meant to be. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled for sure. I mean, that's seriously. So you, you've been doing solo criminal defense work for about 14 years. Um, what kind of cases do you try? I try all kinds of cases, felonies, misdemeanors, federal. Um, I love being in trial. Um, I typically try four to six cases a year. COVID kind of changed that. Last year, I tried a federal online solicitation of a minor case in Sherman with Cody Coker and a juvenile child sexual assault case with um, my friend Becky Garcia from the Dallas Public Defender's Office. So most of the trials I do are serious offenses, life cases, um, things like that with huge consequences. Yeah, kind of once you, once you start actually trying cases, you find that the cases you try, they, they end up being bigger, not smaller, right? All of us would love to try a state jail felony occasionally just because, well, you know, it's, it's going to count as a felony trial, but it's not that big of a deal. But who, no, no one's going to go to trial because no one's not going to work out a deal, right? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there certainly is a lot less stress. And, and that probably is because those, you know, the smaller, the state jail felonies or like class B misdemeanors, they're not going to take very long at all. It's not going to take a lot of your time to prep for them or to actually do them. Um, and in your, in your office, this is kind of going off script a little bit. Is it, it's just you and um, one other attorney? Yes, Kelsey Taylor. Yeah. And then we have a paralegal, Angel Duenas. And we also have a steady rotation of um, law student interns. We generally have two to four of those at all times. That certainly helps whenever you're taking on these bigger cases and you're going to be in trial for one or two weeks, uh, especially like I imagine the federal uh, case in Sherman probably took quite a bit of time. It did. And uh, it, it helps to have that support staff in place to uh, kind of help run your business while you're away. Absolutely. I don't think um, I could do any of this without all of them. Yeah, that's certainly true. Right. Uh, for my office manager, seriously, if I, I would not be able to go visit clients in the jail or go to court just because of all the work. She makes you look real good. She does. She, she certainly does. <laughs> so how are the jobs different, right? All of us do misdemeanors all the way up through felonies. But in your mind, how are they different to prepare for a misdemeanor versus a high-level felony trial? Um, I thought about this question for a while, and... Honestly, I really think that it's almost, I think it is very, very difficult to prepare for a misdemeanor assault family violence or a DWI. Um, the laws on DWIs change a lot and statutorily it can just be really complicated. Um, misdemeanor 
ABIFM can end up with like lifelong consequences. So I think that the stakes are higher on major felonies, but they can also be really, really bad for these lower level offenses. So I think you can, you can never over prepare in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that, that is a, such a great statement. You can never over prepare no matter what case you are prepping. Um, you know, it's gotta mean a lot to, to somebody, right. And that's to your client. Right. Well, and yeah. yeah. And, and so true about like the misdemeanor family violence cases and DWIs. There's so many collateral consequences that can be very confusing. Um, so yeah, prep. And sometimes the bar on those is so low that you can almost trip over it walking into the courthouse, right? The, the, while the burden of proof is injury, right? Assault family, bodily assault, family violence with bodily injury. When they define injury as anything that hurts, that is so low that I hurt myself coming into court today when I bumped into the door frame. Yeah, it's almost like the class C is, and this is not a family violence episode, but a class C is offensive contact. And that line between injury and offensive contact is often blurred um, whenever that's being filed uh, with the county attorney or DA's office. Right. So, um, you know, prep, 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 prep your cases. And that was, uh, that, that is such a great, um, you know, such great advice for all of our listeners, all of the defenders out there, but specifically, you know, when, when you are either appointed or retained on one of these high level felony trials, um, you know, either sex assault, murder type cases, how do you prepare for those, uh, those types of cases? I would say the most important thing I do and the most important thing that I try to teach the interns, um, we just take copious notes. Every, every interaction we have with a client, with an investigator, with a witness, everything is taken down. Um, so at the end of you know, trial prep, I can print everything off, know pretty much everything that we have done. Um, we review all of the discovery. I make very, very detailed outlines. Um, they break down the trial by witness. So they are specifically organized so that who I believe will be the first witness is on the first page and then it goes down from there. I create a timeline and that's not just going to include a timeline of the offense. It often will include prior convictions that my client might have. It might include, you know, important dates in their lives, something that I may use later in punishment. Um, our timelines can be very extensive. So that would be the second thing. Um, so when I break down the, the trial by witness in the outline, I also put down everything I plan to ask them. Obviously that's fluid. When you get in trial, those questions may have already been asked from the state. And so I may change that up as time goes on, but I think it's really good to have that written out. So I know kind of a general idea of where I'm going. When we will also address um, any time a witness has made statements in the video or the offense report or witness statements handwritten or whatever, we add all of those to the outline and we will generally make a chart to show how they differ. 
So within the outline um, for each witness, if they've made numerous statements, I will know exactly how they differ, where it is on the video, or what page it is on the offense report so that I can go in and cross-examine more effectively. Um, all these things go into large trial binders with a table of contents. My interns and um, whoever I'm trying the case with will already know exactly where everything is, so I don't have to, you know, flip through 200 pages. So I that that is one way in which I really rely on support staff to help me with trial. Um, we also include um, everything from the indictment to the jury charge, case law research, objections I plan to make. And um, when I was talking about this podcast with my with people from my office the other day, they said that the thing that they like about my way of preparing for trial is it's like anyone could pick up that binder, pick up the outline and know exactly where I'm going with it. And, you know, not that anyone would have to like try a case on the fly, but at least you have an outline where, you know, you really are going to have the grand scheme of things on there. Um, another really important thing that I do if the client is out of custody is to go to their house. And Andrew Decker and I, <laughs> are trying a case, uh, a murder case, actually. And we went to the client's house, met with um, the client, her mother, her sister. We sat on our couch. And their dog. Yes. We played right. We love our dog. dogs. Played with the dog. My dogs were not happy afterwards. Um, but it was, I think it's really important because I've been working on this case for four years. And... I got more information from just sitting there and being in her space than I feel like I could have gotten from 10 interviews in my office. So she was more comfortable. She was relaxed. She was um, emoted. She, you know, it was just her space. And I think that she felt much more at ease with me being there. Um, another thing I do and I did that day was I have the client go with me to a crime scene we actually did a drive-through of the entire um, scene for this case, and it gave me some new ideas. And sometimes just doing that will change the whole trajectory of my, my trial strategy. So I think those things are really important. Yeah, that, that, that is really important. Scene visits, uh, honestly, like I, don't, I can count on one hand how many client homes I've been to. Uh, that's a great idea. I'm going to put that back in my quiver, start using that some more. Yeah. The, the, the thing that you were talking about the knowing what objections you might raise during yeah. trial. Um, one of the things I do is I actually read through kind of the, what are some possible objections like two or three days before trial, you know, just kind of remember what they are and how you make them and what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. But uh, my most recent trial I knew the state was going to ask a witness, well, how'd that make you feel? Right. I objected. I said, judge under, you know, the statute where you can bring a prior in on a child sex case that the way this witness feels has nothing statutorily allowed. That's, that is, that's right. a, and the judge said, yeah, sustained. Right. 
So what would have been very emotive to the jury was kept out because I prepped up. What are those objections? What are they, where are they going to try to go with something that's beyond the pale? And it's simply because of knowing that they might ask it, having that objection ready in my head, being able to state it on the record and the judge going, and you know what That's I love correct. about that? Yeah. I mean, that, that is, um, being prepared like that, being able to anticipate, um, all of that is, uh, really important, but what I love about having the, the binder with the outline and everything's just, you know, with all that information so often, I think attorneys, defense attorneys start trying, uh, not trying their case, but they're trying the state's case. Like they're being reactive and they don't have a theme. They don't have an outline and it's, like you said, trial is fluid. You need to be listening and reacting, but don't ever forget like your theory of the case and having that to be able to fall back on. Um, just, I think, you know, you can do both. You can react whenever you need to, but then also fall back on, okay, let's get back on track to trying my case and not just reacting to their case. Yeah. Yeah. Harmony does a lot more notes than I do, but the idea, the idea is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, why, why do you take big cases? We all know those attorneys that only, you know, you mentioned ABIFM and DWIs. We all know attorneys that will not take anything that isn't a misdemeanor. You know, they yeah. might do a state jail. They're just like, I don't want to do anything bigger than that. Um, why, do, why do you take the big cases? Um, I think part of the answer to that is really selfish. I personally find them interesting. And I think it's easier to try a case if you actually feel like it's interesting. Um, I mean, we're all attorneys are human too. We're not going to love doing something over and over again that we've done, you know, 50 times. So I feel like the bigger cases have bigger issues. They have more things that you can get into. They also allow you to go into punishment issues, which, you know, you may have to know the entire background of your client. You really get to know these people in a deeper way than you would with a misdemeanor, um, or at least that's the way I think of it. They also require a lot of outside the box thinking, um, which I think it kind of keeps me on my toes and I feel like I learn something every single time I try a case and I, you know, that's kind of why I got into the law because I want to keep learning. So th that's kind of why, that's kind of why I do it. Yeah. After talking with some of the, you know, some of the attorneys that kind of stick to DWIs or misdemeanors, um, you know, over time, they, they really don't get a lot of satisfaction or fulfillment out of their job. And I, I would think the, you know, taking on these cases that, um, have a lot more at stake. Um, you know, it does the kind of I don't know. Mim variety. Mimi, Mimi loves doing their DWIs. Oh yeah. But Mimi is also trying like really serious felony DWIs right. and, <laughs> and, you know, intox manslaughters and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and she really does love the science of it. I think she, she finds a lot of fulfillment in finding that one little piece that uh, makes the state's case fall apart. But anyways, um, so on your, so on these big cases, like what's your, what's your greatest fear? Um, because I'm not, I don't handle capital cases. My biggest fear is my client getting life. 
especially getting life where um, it's aggravated and they have to do, you know, half their time or just, I don't know. Um, obviously, I guess that, that really just is my biggest fear is I feel like that's a, that I've let them down. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine, mine would, would have been, my answer probably would have been something far more selfish. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I love that you're, you automatically think of like your clients first. I, I don't always do that, unfortunately. Oh, I don't either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other big fear is grievance, but we're not going to talk right. about that now. <laughs> yeah, well, that was second, second option, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in this 14 years, you've certainly won a lot of these big cases um, in the traditional sense. I think in the, you know, when, when we talk to people who don't defend clients, they think a win is a, is a not guilty. And that certainly is of course a, a win for us. But what, what do you consider a win? Um, obviously a not guilty is a win. I also consider a hung jury a win. Mm. Anytime you can um, sow that seed of doubt and, you know, some people just don't buy the state's case and consider that a win. Usually it's either going to result in possibly a dismissal, at least a, an ability to plea to something lesser. Um, or if you retry it, you never know, you win, may win again. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, in my mind, anytime you beat the state's offer. If you have a 40-year offer on the table, like we have on some of these cases and you get your client 20 years. Um, I think that's a win. I think you're allowed to take that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to add to Harmony. I said that she and I have tried a few cases together. One of them that we tried, geez, before COVID, what about four years ago, the win came on appeal. We kept the record, the record, we kept a good record, right? At right. trial yeah. and on appeal, they weren't able to prove up the continuous, which is part of what we kept arguing that they didn't really establish more than 30 days apart. And that case ended up falling apart when the state brought it back because it was remanded. So sometimes the win doesn't feel like a win until you find out much later, Oh, this case got dismissed. Right. Um, now he's in trouble in other places. We don't have to worry about that, but, but it was a win for us. Yeah, but it, yeah, in that instance, the you were able to do the right thing by your client. That's um, yeah, and that that is, I think, a huge win, especially because courts of appeal always kind of default to like, well, you know, this. It, yeah, if they, if, yeah, they oh, they're you didn't they're preserve error, you know, right? You didn't. Pre well, their job is to is to keep whatever happened below intact if possible, right? That's basically if you look at a court of appeal, they always start with. We're going to give the trier of fact and the trier of law at the court level the default answer. Yeah. So you have to overcome that. Well, in this case, Harmony and I did, you know, I, that that's a win that for sure. It's not a skin it's on not the wall. It's not immediate. Yeah. Right. right. But, but it's because we did the work at trial correctly that we're, yeah. that that was able to happen for him down there. And road. you know what? I bet you wouldn't have been able to preserve that error, error without that brilliant outline and binder that you had worked up on the case i wish i could say that that's true <laughs> andrew single-handedly handled that i mean I gotcha think we both argued it but i think he's the one that 
um, really brought it home. So. We don't like to give him too much credit on this show. Yeah, though. <laughs> I really don't generally want to give him any credit. <laughs> but I must say in this case, he saved the day. Awesome. Well, um, anyways, good work on that, Harmony. I'm, I'm going to mark that down April the 1st. <laughs> <laughs> so does the work ever bring you down? I mean, this is hard work. Yeah. I think, um, I think all of us will say that the work brings us down. I think the benefit is that if you're doing something you love, it doesn't bring you down as much as it could. I mean, it's not like a slog every day to go to work. I don't feel like, you know, I'm doing something that doesn't matter. Um, so I do love that about my job, but, um, and the facts of the cases don't bring me down either. But I really, I think we all get really good at compartmentalizing and I, I don't stay up at night worried about, you know, facts of cases. I stay up at night worried about helping my client, mm -hmm. but um, it doesn't keep me up to worry about what they did. Um, I also generally like my clients, which I think is really helpful, but I would say the stress is overwhelming at times. These are heavy, heavy cases. They're heavy issues for our clients. And just taking all of that stress onto yourself can have really big consequences. Um, I think that's one of the reasons there's so much addiction, especially among criminal defense attorneys and mental health issues. I think that it's, it's hard. It really is hard. And anyone that says it's not hard I think maybe you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wonder if they're really doing the job, yeah. right? I don't, I don't know what they're doing because they're not living in my world. So what, so when that, when that happens, you know, when you do feel overwhelmed, um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? I talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'll talk to you guys or I'll talk to people in my office or other attorneys. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately, most of my friends or attorneys. So I think that that's the best way to decompress for me is talking to people who know the situation you're in. It's really hard to relate sometimes to people that don't do this for a living, or maybe I should say it's hard for them to relate to us yeah. because we all have gotten that. Why do you do this question? And with friends that actually try cases and do criminal defense you never get that question so i think that relying on just your network your people to talk things through and you know decompress that's huge yeah don't hold it in y'all talk get it out talk about it yeah go for a run well you know or talk about it right okay yeah, no. <laughs> or do you start it start a podcast Start a podcast. Talk about all of it. Right. All right. <laughs> I do think that's really great uh, advice, though. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, of nice uh, of nice pieces of advice from from Harmony today. Um, but yeah, talk about it. Don't sit in isolation. Don't hold it in. Just get it out. Right. It, it is. It is part of the reason why I enjoy the. Well, I enjoy my job. We talk about that a lot. I love yeah. my job. It's hard, but part of why I like having an office. Both my offices. I have colleagues that do the same kind of work. And sometimes you just go in and go, I want to kill this client because, and, and whoever it is I'm talking to looks at you and shakes her head and goes, yeah, it's going to be okay. Don't kill them. Right. 
Okay, but at least they know they 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 know because they've had the same kind of case or the same kind of client that you go, just listen, please. And, and they're not going to. It's okay. It's all right. Yep. <laughs> so Harmony, we ask every all of our guests a few fun questions because we want to know more than just uh the attorney. We want to know that the person. So we start with what is your favorite band or musical artist? And some people hate this question and she's rolling her eyes as I ask. So yeah. So she's not excited about this question. No, I mean, I actually am kind of excited about this question because I love music. I love live music. I go to a lot of concerts. Um, my two favorite artists are probably Hayes Carl and Jason Isbell. So I'm big on like Americana type mm -hmm. artists, but I listen to all kinds. So Spotify is still my friend, even though Joe Rogan. Yeah, I... <laughs> I uh, I love Jason Isbell, and seeing him live is has is just amazing, life changing. It really is. He's great. It is great. What about um, a favorite book or one that you're reading right now that you'd recommend, something like that? So most of the time, I read really trashy criminal, you know, crime drama novels on my phone at night when I can't sleep because I'm thinking about crime drama. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems reasonable. That's yeah. 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 Or I read, you know, stuff for work like the Code of Criminal Procedure when I'm taking a bath. Um, <laughs> right now, I'm reading all. We're going to give you some new things to read. Yeah. Martin. No, I don't. Yeah. Want any new. No, I don't want any new. I'm good. Now I'm reading um, All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep by Andre Henry. I'm actually listening to that as an audiobook, but I'm big into podcasts i also listen to a lot of those i pretty much have something going all the time yeah yeah i don't uh, i don't really listen to music anymore i found like as i i don't know if it's a, because i as i get older or because i'm a defense attorney yeah, i just you're so old <clears throat> whatever so i i just <laughs> find myself like in the car or whatever it's always an audiobook podcast it's rarely music yeah yeah I just i'm only listening to music if travis is in the car yeah makes yep. sense yeah so what's the best piece of piece of advice you've been given um i really i thought a lot about this question and i really can't think of anything but a friend of mine um always says just keep swimming and i just thought that was so true sometimes that's all you can do you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and things will work out. And at the time you may not think so, or I may not think so, which I often think of, God, how am I going to get out of this? Um, but I think you just keep moving. Just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Well said. How, uh, how can our listeners or other defenders out there get a hold of you? Website? Uh, yeah. Um, my website is hmscriminallaw.com. Okay. I also, I have an office in Fort Worth on Magnolia. I have an office in Weatherford and uh, it's not hard to get in touch with me. Yeah. We, we've asked that. And sometimes people will just be like, well, my cell phone number is, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, we were always like, you really don't have to get, yeah, you don't have to do, we can just do. It's amazing know, how many people actually give us their cell phone number Yeah, to put out in the universe. A number of people have. Well, yeah. I only give my clients my cell phone number, so I'm sorry you guys can't. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, if any of you have questions out there, maybe you've, uh, you know, have taken on a case, maybe it's a little bit more than you can chew and you need some guidance, um, look Harmony up online and contact her office. Uh, she'd be happy to talk with you for a little bit, I'm sure, but she is rather busy. So don't waste her time. Right. No, anyone can call. Okay. All right. We're, Anybody we're, can call. We're lucky to have her come in the exactly. office. Exactly. Yes, you're in person. Indeed. I well, just, I just wanted to go to Willow Park, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I, that's what I say every morning. Get to go to Willow Park. Here we come. Hey, I love it here. I love it. Yeah. Don't knock it. I, I'm not. Minus the landlord. This is a great office. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's a wonderful office. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Um, you can find us on the web at texascrimdefense.com and on Facebook at and with just looks up Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. You can also uh, find us on Twitter. We're not even going to try to go there today. Yeah, just just please just follow us on Twitter so Andrew can <laughs> get those numbers up. Because I think if we hit 20, like we like get a gold star or something. Really? Yeah. Wow, amazing. 20, just 20. Uh, <laughs> and we're struggling to do well, that. Well, I don't, I don't know. If, if we ever hit 20, I'll be able to tell you. <laughs> oh, so, so please, um, I don't know even where we left off. Twitter... We're out there. Find us. But if you have an idea for the show, Absolutely. reach out to us. You can email us. Our emails are on the website. Uh, if you know Andrew or I, either one personally, feel free to text us or call us. Um, if you know us personally, you will probably get a text or phone call from us asking you to right. be on the podcast. If you haven't, stop us and tell us, <laughs> hey, I want to be on the show. Um, but again, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any ideas, please let us know, and we will talk to you next time. 